Welcome back to another episode of School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, and uh, we're doing things. We're, we're starting this back up again. For some reason, um, we're going to do this and talk about Everton despite their recent struggles. But before we get into all of that and, and the big story, which is Marco Silva, let's bring in our other uh, two um, our other two hosts here. Chris, how you doing today? I'm so tired, Gino. I'm so tired. Adam, similar feeling? Uh, I wish that I was dead. Uh, <laughs> that that would be a welcome relief at this stage of things. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's been a very, very tough season overall, really, for us. Um, you know, it seems this constant cycle of ambition and promise and excitement always ends in disappointment and always ends at the spot that we're at right now. With our manager, Marco Silva, on the hot seat. Say that again, Adam? Never get your hopes up, kids. Never get your (laughs) hopes up. Never get your hopes up. That's the Christmas spirit. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Don't dream because someone will crush them. (laughs) Marco Silva is on the hot seat. And, I mean, I I think at this point, at time of recording, recording at right uh, the day of the Liverpool game, it seems he's on his way out. Um, I put on the, you know, when I made the rundown up, I put, is it time? I think we can all agree that it's time for him to uh, get the sack and for us to start moving forward from him, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, it, it was, I, I wrote about this um, last week after, or excuse me, earlier this week after the Leicester match, because the way that the Leicester match went, and we'll, we'll talk more about it, you know, is such there wasn't really a whole lot tactically to, to take from it. Uh, so I, I just kind of, discussed the fact that Marco was kind of in an awkward spot going into that, into this, this run of games because they decided not to sack him after the fiasco against Norwich because you just don't see clubs, uh, you know, of Everton stature fire managers after results against teams that are obviously better than them. And we knew after the Norwich match that there would be Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, United, Arsenal, Leicester again in the F- or in the League Cup, excuse me, um, in that run as well. And it's not until like Boxing Day when they play Burnley that they're going to play a crap team that, you know, would traditionally be the team, the sort of match that gets a manager fired uh, and that they just needed to ignore that and pull the plug anyway because it's so obvious that it's the case. But then Marco was nice enough to get the team not just beaten at Anfield, but shellacked. And that kind of makes your job easier as a, as a uh, Farhad Mashiri or a Bill Kenwright or whoever the fuck makes the decisions this week. Well, based on the article in The Athletic this morning, there's like six different yeah. people making decisions. So that's that's a super healthy way to run any sort of business, in my opinion. I love it. It's cool. It's great. No, but, you know, my my original take had been there's no sense in, in firing Marco Silva before this gauntlet of games against the larger clubs because, A, he had shown last season a, a, a pretty decent propensity to get – to get results against those teams and B there's no reason to really throw a new manager to the dogs like that. But I'll be damned, man. We're in the relegation places, which correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when, before Sam Allardyce was hired, we had never gotten all the way down to 18th place. Had we? I, I don't believe so. Certainly not this late in the season. This is, yeah. this is the latest that we've been in a relegation place since like the late nineties. And, and you know the 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 race for those spots is it's it's quite a derby. You, you've got Aston Villa, Brighton, Southampton all on 15 points, then Everton on 14, then you have three teams on 16 points. So it's not it's not a full on shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic type of situation yet. But damn if it isn't awfully close. And yeah. so at at this point, it's like you you almost just have to tear the bandaid off and get it over with. Yeah, and I think that. It's it's probably you, you recognize that the next run of of matches that the next three you know Premier League matches you don't really expect to take anything from the the Chelsea match or the the match at Old Trafford maybe hosting Arsenal because obviously they are in their own world of hurt but again remember that we've still got to play Liverpool again Manchester City again Chelsea twice 
United twice and Arsenal twice uh, and Leicester another time yet. Um, so there's there's still a, a lot of work to be done if you assume that most of those matches, uh, you know, are going to effectively be non-starters in terms of getting points the way that things look right now. And it's at that point that the math does start getting a little troubling. Well, that's the thing, right? Because when we're all doing our season preview content on on the Royal Blue Mercy and on the show, we all said that the early season run of fixtures were easy. That's the time to make hay, and they absolutely did not. And so now you're really behind the eight ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 14 points out of all the fixtures that we've had so far. I mean, you would have expected with that early season uh, schedule to probably have 14 points far before this point. Um, and, and that's, you know, I think, Adam, building on what you were saying, I, I think the issue with, you know, this awkward position that we're in now that we have to play all these tough games in a row, but it's also, you know, if we lose all those games in a row, keep Marco as manager, it's not going to put us in any better position. It's only going to put us in a worse position. Um, and, and, and we can't afford that right now, being that we are currently in a relegation spot. Um, so, you know, it, it, we're going to need to make a change here. And the board is, is having a conference call again. We're recording Wednesday night after the Derby. So the board is meeting tomorrow, Thursday morning, um, to discuss Silva's future. And, you know, uh, let's start. Let's start with, I guess, where we go to replace him. Obviously, there's been some rumors out there, but first off, Chris, let's go to you. Who would be your option to replace Marco Silva? And just give me one option. Yeah, so I'm going to jump a little bit off the wall from the typical list of potential replacements. I'm going to say Chris Wilder from Sheffield United. If you guys have watched any of the Blades at all this season. You will have seen what kind of structure that they play with, how beyond the, their own talent that they play with. And it's not a case of, you know, your typical older English manager playing a defensive low block. They actually have like real tactics, which I know is shocking considering when you look at a club of their means and resources. And really Chris Wilder's not even that old, right? He's 52 years old. He knows what he's about. He has his players playing well. He, they play a certain style. It's predictable, but he's not afraid to make adjustments. And I think that sort of stability with a figure who is, I don't want to say necessarily authoritative, but a guy who knows what he's about really, I think would be a really welcome change from the more, you know, the outsized egos, the guys with really big ambition of Marco Silva and Ronald Koeman. Adam, how about you? Uh, if you, you would replace Marco Silva, where are you going? Uh, at, at the start of the season, when when things started to go south uh, and we started thinking about, okay, who, who might uh, we look to to replace Marco Silva? My, my pick would have been David Wagner, um, who was at, at Huddersfield and miraculously kept them up two years ago before they ultimately tanked and he, he left halfway through last season and they, they got relegated. Um, he had taken the job at, at Schalke over the summer. And I figured, ah, well, you know, Schalke is not a, a bad Bundesliga team, but if, if a club of Everton stature came calling, uh, you know, it, it would probably be be too much to uh, to turn down. And then Everton, you know, has is sitting in a relegation place through 15 games, and he has led Schalke to third in the Bundesliga. Um, so as much as I like the idea of that, <laughs> I think realistically, um, it's probably not it's it's certainly not going to happen um given that based on you know kind of the the list of other folks who you suspect might take the job i i don't really like any of them uh, i guess if you had to make me guess i'd probably or, or make me choose i'd probably take Mikel Arteta um you know i i think that he's had a, a good tenure now under obviously a very highly respected manager um, understands what he's going to be getting into um, at this club more than than any of the other folks uh, available, and I think would unite the organization as a whole in a way that it it might need uniting right now. Yeah, actually, that's where I was leaning a little bit too. I, I'm struggling with uh, actually also with what Chris Chris said. I, I kind of find that 
you know, we have gone with that, gone with that younger manager, that manager who's looking for, you know, to, to build on his career and has that big ambition. And it obviously has not worked out well for us uh, in the past, you know, three managerial appointments I think we've had uh, that were permanent appointments. Um, you know, so I was looking at, at that more authoritative figure, somebody who's more, you know, I guess disciplinary and whatnot. But like you said, there's not really much out there that's that you're looking at and you're like, oh, this guy can realistically come here and that we would like. So actually Mikel Arteta, um, if we could get him, would probably be on uh, uh, at the top of my list just because, like you said, he knows the club um, and he knows what he's getting himself into. Well, I, I think you guys both made a, a good point there, and that is that we have to deal in, in realism with regards to who would actually take this job at, at this point because, frankly, the well is kind of poisoned, right? Like if you're Mikel Arteta, you're from what we can tell one of the most highly regarded assistant managerial candidates in world football, and Everton are not a good job right now, which, you know, that's the same reason that the – the pipe dream of Jose Mourinho before this and Maurizio Pochettino now was never going to happen. And so if I'm Arteta, I ain't touching this thing with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Well, and, and I think in a vacuum, I think that that, that would probably be my takeaway as well. I think that Arteta's history with the club probably changes the calculus on that a little bit. Um, again, if personally, if I am Mikel Arteta, um, I, I might agree with you, Chris, and I might say, you know, I, I wouldn't want that, but obviously I don't have the lived experience of having played at, at Everton for the time that, that he did. Um, so I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he would be interested, but I also absolutely agree that it's not unreasonable to think if Everton called him up, he might laugh them off the phone and say, you know, <laughs> I'm, uh, um, an assistant at one of the best clubs of the world right now, I can do better than you. And that's a reality that the Everton supporters probably need to be prepared for on multiple fronts. Which is, which is when we now turn to the rumor that has been circulating the Twitters this evening from the Echo and the Athletic where we bring back David Moyes and he has Tim Cahill as his assistant manager. So we're going, we're going back to the good old days, just, just less handsome than Arteta. <laughs> Hey, you watch what you say about Tim Cahill. I well, love that guy. <laughs> I, I have that, Chris, you, you mentioned the poison well. Do you think that if, you know, things, when things started going bad, and, and Adam, you can answer this too, mm. do you think it, that when things started going bad for Everton, at that point, if they were to have sacked Silva, you know, after the first bad run of games and that easy schedule, instead of waiting until now, do you think that job, that the job is a little bit more, I guess desirable than it is right now because of how dire things are. Well, on, honestly, Gino, I don't think so, and here's why: this well was poisoned many, many years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that Marco Silva, frankly, had anything to do with it because, you know, the 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 fragmented state of the leadership group, beginning with Bill Kenwright and filtering down into Moshiri and Brands and. Denise Barrett Baxendale at this point, it, it, it just, it's just a disaster. And the way that they've kind of cycled through managers Watford style over the, since they've sacked Roberto Martinez is indicative of some, some deeper rot at the club besides who they choose as their next manager. Uh, I don't think it would have made a huge difference. Um, just looking at the fixture list, I think that the, the place where it, it would have made sense to make that move uh, if they were going to do it earlier would have been after the the loss to Burnley. Uh, they lost to Bournemouth, Sheffield, uh, Man City, and then Burnley in, in four consecutive weeks. And I think at that point, maybe you get a slightly different, a slightly more open uh, mindset from some of the potential candidates just because, you know, you're only eight weeks into the season. That's also before Andre Gomes gets hurt. Uh, so, and again, that's, that's not Marco Silva's fault. And that's obviously not Farad Moshiri's fault that Andre Gomes got hurt and, and that some of the injuries have gone down the way that, that they have, but that all of those factors combined do, I think, m- make the job less enticing now than it would have been two or three months ago. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, 
looking at some of the guys that have been linked, we've mentioned Moyes, we've talked about Arteta. Just give me your opinion on these guys. I mean, I, I think I, I have a pretty good idea of what they would be. There's some wild card candidates in here as well, but let's start off with, I think, the obvious no for everybody. Quick, quick answers on this. Mark Hughes. No. I would rather fry a significant part of my body in a vat of hot oil. Agreed. Um, Eddie Howe. Uh, better. It's going in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> Started at the bottom, now we're here. Uh, Howe is, how is a tough one uh, because it is – what he's done at Bournemouth is, is absolutely, you know uh, – It's respectable and, is yeah. what I'll say. Um, can he – is he upwardly mobile? He's tried to make Bournemouth an upwardly mobile team, and it hasn't really happened yet. Um, you know, I'm also have, not totally sure that's his fault. Yeah, so so there are a lot of factors that go into that. Uh, to me, if you're going to make me pick a name from a list that also has Mark Hughes and David Moyes on it, if if the list is three people, Mark Hughes, Eddie Howe, and David Moyes, I'm picking Eddie Howe. Right, yes, agreed. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that as well. Um, I mean, Eddie Howe, like you guys said, he, he shows some promise in what he has done with Bournemouth, but we get into that same situation. I think he's a little bit, probably a little bit better than the, the, where the, you know, the, the Silvas and the, um, and the Martinez's were coming from where he has shown a stretch in this Premier League where he has been successful. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, is it going to work at Everton is, you know, something that you have to look at as well, I think. And, and you know, with what they've built there, can he come in and, and do that at Everton as well? Um, David Moyes, uh, Adam, we know you, uh, Chris, what, what your opinions on which seems to be the leading candidate right now, David Moyes? It's, it's, it's just so boring. And I don't think Moyes would take – first of all, it's pretty evident to me that he's kind of lost his fastball um, since he since he left Everton. You know, he he took a job that he probably shouldn't have. Well, he probably deserved the job at Manchester United. He, he still shouldn't have taken it. He was in over his head. And ever since then, it's just gotten worse and worse. And I, I, I think also the problem with Moyes is that he's not going to be very interested in – I wouldn't necessarily hate him as a caretaker – but the issue that you run into is a Moise is not going to be interested in caretaking, and b how many times have we seen a quote unquote caretaker manager get the permanent job because you get that new manager bump and the team wins like four out of six games and everybody's like, oh my gosh, this guy saved us. See United, comma Manchester. Yeah, well that's that's <laughs> certainly the preeminent example. Yeah, I mean I, I agree with you. I think that David Moyes is one of those. You know, it's just like it feels like, oh, like you don't get any excitement out of that, any wonder out of that. You're just like, all right, we're going to go back to this. We're going to, you know, grind it out and and we'll be, you know, a middle of the table team at best uh, year in and year out. And again, like I said, I really don't hate it as a caretaker thing because nobody knows the club better than Moyes does. Right. And he's going to come in. He's going to say all the right things. He's going to know a lot of the behind the scenes backroom staff already. There's going to be, you know, Leighton Baines is going to respect the hell out of him, and the locker room's probably going to get in better shape. But at this point, we're the long-term health of the club is in serious danger, and I don't see how that appointment really helps. Now, yeah. if if for whatever reason Marco Silva does not get fired until say February, and we're sitting in the same place in the table, then I will cut my left leg off for David Moyes so that we don't get relegated. <laughs> Yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I would be willing to sacrifice another year down the road, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of suffering through Moyes before they inevitably sacked him too, uh, if it came to that point. But we're now, not there yet. No, I don't think this is very. <laughs> I don't think this is very realistic. But what I would love is for Moyes to take over and bring Arteta with him, with you know, Brands or whomever, saying, "Look." Moise, you got this for the next four months, then we're giving it to Arteta for the next three years. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. I think that would be I think that would be great. And, and I think you mentioned a key name there, and, and you mentioned the athletic article earlier, and this is a bit too much to get into right now for this episode. Uh, maybe we can get into it at another time, but um, you know, 
the fact that brands isn't making these decisions and, and, you know, the guys that we think brands would bring in were probably the guys that would get us in the right place or going in the right direction. Um, you know, and the fact that brands is not the guy that's making these decisions is a bit of a problem, especially as the director of football, obviously the, the club chairman and, 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 you know, the owner of the club need to have a say in it, but we know that brands is the football mind and the, the guy behind, um, a lot of the good that's been going on at Everton. Um, if there is any of that, <laughs> um, just a couple wild cards, um, you know, that have been mentioned in the news. Jorge, uh, Jesus of Flamingo. You guys know too much about him. Uh, if so, I mean, obviously they just won two pretty big trophies. Um, and, and I can't see him going anywhere, even if he was offered the job, but go ahead. I mean, I, 65 years old and the, the most, you know, the biggest league he's ever coached in is the Portuguese league. I'm, I, I'll pass. Thanks though. Yeah. Uh, same here. That's, that's a disconcerting, uh, premise for me to have a guy who's never, never coached in one of the major leagues in Europe come in and try to save your club. I'm, I'll pass as well. But just real quick, he's managed 16 teams in 29 years. The math on that, last I checked, uh, that, that divided by the other number is basically two. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> whew, that's not very many years to average at a club. Yeah. <laughs> no, agreed on that. And then the final one, we obviously, I mean, obviously Pochettino's out there, but we are, re- we have realistically, um, ruled him out. But the last guy that we've seen, you know, linked with a little bit, Marcelino used to, uh, coach at, um, Valencia or, I think he used to, right? Yes. Um, yes. The coach at Valencia. Um, you know, what are you guys' opinions on him? Valencia was a super, super interesting team in La Liga last year uh, because they just hilariously outperformed their their expected goals. They or uh, underperformed their expected goals, excuse me, and still finished fourth in the uh, in La Liga. The the results when you look at his time at Valencia at Villarreal are pretty good. Um, you know, a winning percentage. Didn't didn't he also win the Spanish domestic cup over Barcelona with Valencia? Yes, correct. Uh, that was in seventeen, I think. But yeah, uh, seven or the seventeen eighteen season, correct? Um, it's somebody you know. I don't by any means pretend to be an expert on on La Liga and I would want to before I said oh yes definitely that's our guy uh you know learn a little bit more dig a little bit more but off the top it's somebody it's a name that I look at and I go oh yeah okay I could see that it's a name that immediately goes above guys like you know Mark Hughes uh on my list yeah, I would I would say of this list that we've been presented, I, Marcelino's kind of up there adjacent to Eddie Howe. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I, I think that he's probably up near the top of the list, at least, um, especially of the candidates that have been presented. Again, um, you know, we're trying to be a little realistic here in, in what we can get because of the situation that we're in. Um, but let's move on now. Let's get into a little bit of what got us to this point where we're at today. Let's start with Leicester um, last weekend. Just a quick couple quick things, and then we'll get into the breakdown of it. Leicester beat Everton 2-1. Um, the goals were uh, for Everton scored by uh, Richarlison, and then Vardy and Ihenaccio, um scored late in the game. Ihenaccio's goal was a uh, um, a late, a very late one that was eventually ruled in by VAR. Um, you know, Everton held an, uh, held a one nothing lead in this game, 70, 30 possession though, in favor of Leicester. One of the things that stood out to me guys, um, 67% passing in this one or pass accuracy in this one as well, which it doesn't normally, uh, spell good things for, uh, the rest of the game, but well, did you, did you see the midfield? Yeah, well, I know. Midfield. I didn't. I didn't see the midfield. No, no. I that's, a, that's the problem. <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> I'd like to forget about it. Um, but let's get into, I think, one of the biggest talking points, which um, was how we opened up in the formation. What were you guys' opinions on the formation? Adam, we'll start with you. 
Um, your opinions on the formation, and in this game specifically, did it work? Look, I, I went into that match thinking that we were going to play five at the back because I was under the impression that, and based on Marco Silva's media availability and his rundown of the injury list, um, that Morgan Schneiderlin wasn't going to be available at all. Um, at, at, and at that point, Benny Beningami um, was hurt. Obviously, Andre Gomes is hurt. Jean-Philippe Gabamin is hurt. Um, there were no central midfielders. Um, so the fact that he came out in that, that you know, what was ultimately a, a 5-4-1, um, I get it. I get it. I didn't like it, but he was without a whole lot of other choice um, because of the the way that, that the squad composition was. I, I suppose that we'll assume, um, though, the way that the squad selection was today maybe makes me question this, that Schneiderlin was not at 100% and couldn't play or couldn't play from the off at least. Um, so they went with a 5-4-1, and Marco basically said, all right, we're going to sit really deep. And we're going to try to hit him on the counter, uh, get the ball out wide to to the the fullbacks pushing forward, the wingbacks really pushing forward, and just hope that they don't get in behind us. Which I mean explains why you've got a 67% pass accuracy, which you know obviously yeah, in a vacuum is not good, but when you set out to play the way that they did, you live with that. And you know for a half, it, it worked. Um, they didn't concede a ton of. Uh, really great chances in the first half. Obviously, uh, the ball from Sidibe into Richarlison for the goal is sublime. Richarlison's finish is very good. If you're going to win games like this or get goals in games like this, you need your good players to do good things. And, and Everton got a, a moment of magic from those two guys. Uh, given, like I said, given the options available to Silva, I don't think he liked having to go to that any more than I did. Um, but it was what it was given the, the players available at his disposal. And for a half, it looked like it might work. Chris? So <clears throat> I was not able to watch all of this game, but my big gripe with the formation is something that we saw borne out again today, which we'll get to. And that is that this set of three center backs and well, the only three center backs that we have on the, the first team, really, they have not done this before. And I think that if memory serves correctly, the Kalechi Iannaccio goal that was ultimately the Leicester's winner was very similar to several of the goals Liverpool scored today. And that is just yeah. that the, the the three defenders are spread way too far apart. There's no communication, and the forward just gets in between them so easily it looks like a training exercise. And I think, you know, that's that's part of not having Andre Gomes in there. That's part of not having Gianfilippo Gabamit in there. To, to kind of track those runners in direct traffic a little bit, but my goodness, it's like, it's like Silva decided on the, this formation five minutes before the match because it does not look like they trained it in that whatsoever. Yeah. And, and again, I think that comes back to the fitness question for me. You know, at what point in the week between, uh, the, the last match and, and the Leicester match, was it determined that, oh, shit, we don't have any central midfielders left? You know, at what point did they basically realize Schneiderlin is not a – he can't go 90 in this one? Uh, you know, if that happens on, you know, Friday morning, then then I'm, you know, I'm a little more lenient in terms of the, the way that it looked like they were coached in that match. If, you know, if he picked up a, a knock in, in a match a week before and they had all week to practice it and that's how it comes out looking – then I do have an issue with it being with how it was coached. And again, when we talk about Liverpool, we might blow up all of this anyway, because obviously they came back out in, in that same setup today. Um, but that's the only real excuse that I'm willing to even, you know, entertain yeah. for, for how that went down. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, you know, uh, Chris, you're absolutely right on that. Uh, Iannaccio goal that it was very similar to, to what um, was given up a, a bunch today in the Liverpool game, uh, which were a majority of their goals right through the center back. Um, it, it was just too easy. And, um, you know, it's, it was difficult. And, you know, I think when we look at these games, um, it, it's a very different situation between the Leicester game and the Liverpool game. And granted, I, th I think it showed also that, 
played with a little bit more heart and passion in the lesser game. Um, we were in it obviously the whole time up until the, the 94th minute when we gave up that goal. But, um, you know, it was, there was some fight there. Whereas in the Liverpool game, as we'll talk about, you know, right from the jump, you knew that this wasn't going to work. Um, but in terms of the formation, it, it just, um, you know, it's not something we expected, um, especially uh, against a team that, you know, was better uh, than us and, and has been better than us all season in Leicester. Um, and, and it showed on the field that, you know, without those midfielders and without, uh, I guess, probably training too much on this formation, whether it was for a week or only a few days, still not a lot of time on that Um it didn't really work our, out in our favor in the end, and, and it allowed those gaps to open up, which led to the Ianacho goal. Um, let's go to what what did we like in this game? What was it that we liked in this game? What, what went on that, you know, we were happy with? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, it's not it's not much, but I actually think that all things considered, Richarlison is having a pretty nice season. I've really appreciated the effort that he's put forth, even in – even when we're getting our ass kicked. And I think I haven't looked at his underlying numbers much, but you know, I think that he has worked some on getting the the diving and the theatrics out of his game. And even today against Liverpool and same against Leicester, he, he really just puts his head, head down and gets after it. And I think that's to be commended and uh, contract extension. Well-deserved. I think on that same note, Sidibe has been very good. I don't really think his substitution today was his fault. Um, I suspect that Everton will try to activate that minuscule release clause for Monaco. Um, really those two players, the only thing that stood out to me and I'm, I don't have, a, I don't have a lot else, honestly. Adam, anything? Um, just to follow up on Richarlison, he's, he's at five goals and two assists in, in Premier League play now. Uh, and those two assists are reflective of his expected assists, which is at, uh, 2.14 through 15 games right now. It's, uh, it's a big uptick in his creative output, um, which is, you know, something that's nice to see because uh, the eye test still tells you he can't pass for shit. Um, and his XG's at 4.1, so he's a little bit outperforming it, but the underlyings are, are decent. Um, you know, they're down from what they've been in the past, but given the way that the squad has played as a whole, I don't think that should come as a huge surprise. Um, for me, I, I think that, there, as Chris has said, there isn't really a, a whole lot else from that Leicester match to, to like. I think the fact that Everton didn't concede until the, what was it, the 68th minute against mm-hmm. Leicester is, is something that I, I suppose in a vacuum I, I should feel good about. Um, you know, they, I think Leicester was probably a little bit surprised at what it was that Everton came out to do. Um, and as a result, really for the first 60 minutes, really up until that Vardy goal, um, they didn't create much of anything. And then they, Vardy gets the goal, they bring on Ianacho, and obviously that kind of opens, opens things up to a, a different sort of ending than the one we were looking for. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 in terms of things we liked in the game, I, Chris, you already mentioned it, but I, I thought Sidibe, uh, did a, did a great job. Um, and I think, you know, we, we mentioned the cross already, but again, I think it's worth mentioning how, how beautiful that cross was. Just beautiful placement. You know, watching the TV, you could see the, the pass that should have been picked out. And a lot of times watching Everton, it doesn't get picked out, but that time it was placed perfectly where Charleston made a, a great run and then headed into the back of the net. Uh, a real great all around goal, but again, not much else there. Um, you know, anything that you guys want to expand upon that we didn't like on the game? Obviously, we've mentioned those things in the formation and, and talked about, you know, how the defense, that, that back three played. Anything else on top of that? Yeah, the final score. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely, definitely didn't like that part either. Um, what I what I would do want to say, so that I don't have to say it during the Liverpool discussion, because I'm sure we'll have many things to say about that, um, yeah. is that I have a lot of people – on the internet, just absolutely laying into Gilfie Sigurdsson after his performance today and his performance against Leicester. And folks, the guy's not a central midfielder. He's not. And, and that, that anybody had any expectation for him to be anything remotely successful in either of these games in the situation that he was put in uh, is insane. 
Um, I understand why he's there because he was the closest thing to a central midfielder, not named Tom Davis, that, that we had. Um, but you can't really expect him to be a creative outlet when he's playing in the middle of a 4-5-1 next to Tom Davis against Leicester or against Liverpool. And you can't really expect him to be a significant defensive, uh, you know, asset because that's he's not that guy. He's a good presser of the ball. He's a good defender for a number 10, but he wasn't being a number 10. He was playing as a friggin' eight, and he's not an eight. So, uh, you know, I know that folks have had gripes with Sigurdsson a lot this season, and some of that has been absolutely valid. I think the the slack that he has caught uh, after these last two matches, uh, while, yes, he absolutely didn't play very well, to pin that on him given the situation is asinine. Well, that's that's kind of the rub, right? Like your evaluation of Sigurdsson as a true central midfielder would be completely different if he had Ghana next to him. (laughs) I mean, you know, you don't have to you don't have to do much if that's the case. But, man, he's put in a bad position and he hasn't played well. It's just a it's just a bad, bad recipe. Yeah, no. um, Yeah, you guys are absolutely right with that. I mean especially in games like you mentioned, Adam, where Leicester and Liverpool, largely if he's going to be playing in that central midfield role, he's going to have to be playing largely uh, defensively and in that, you know, in inside his own half and, um, you know, dealing with a lot of the things that a number eight would have, would have had to deal with or has to deal with. He's just not fit for that role. He's fit for, you know, being up top, being someone who can create up top and not really have to worry about those defensive responsibilities as much. So, um, I can definitely see where you're coming for from that. Um, and you also mentioned Adam earlier when we were talking about things we liked, um, how we didn't concede a goal in the, till the 68th minute, but I think there was a clear difference between the first half and the second half and how we came out in this one, um, to start both halves. Chris, um, you want to start us? I, I know you didn't watch, uh, weren't able to watch the whole game, but, um, from what you saw, um, and what you've been able to, um, watch over, what would you see the difference was between the first half and the second half of Everton? Yeah, I mean, I'm not particularly qualified to answer this considering I missed most of the game, but, um, I do think that Everton have had a lot of success when they score early, like they did with Richarlison, well, relatively early anyway. And the fact that they're no longer having that success apparently is, is just another bad sign for Marco Silva, right? Like, Normally, if they get an early goal, they've done a really nice job of not only scoring more goals, but being defensively solid. And apparently that positive trait has collapsed as well. Um, so that's just great. Um, two, two things. Um, two separate things. Uh, one, yeah, from, from the start of the second half, I think you could feel uh, things turning in, in Lester's favor a little bit. And, and I think part of that, honestly, is that, and it, it kills me to say this, is, is that Brendan Rodgers is a a good manager and a guy who watched the first half and went in at half and said, guys, you know, I know we've been surprised by how deep they're sitting and, and the, the style in which they're playing, because that's probably not what he was preparing for. Um, what I wouldn't give just... for Brendan Rodgers, by the way. <laughs> what? I, I would love Brendan Rodgers at Everton. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. No, also, I know. I... also, another candidate for who would we have, uh, Rafael Benitez, if we're considering yes. – Ex Everton, oh. ex Liverpool managers. <laughs> yeah. just anyway. Rafa, Rafa Benitez also would have been smart enough to to make changes at the break because I think Leicester was surprised by the way that Everton played in the first half, and I think that 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 accounts for part of it. Um, and, and I think that the other piece is that uh, Leicester brings on uh, Iannaccio for the last twenty five thirty minutes of the match, um, and it it gives them more players to be pushing up against that back three. And what we saw today with Liverpool and and we saw again with Leicester as well, when you've got guys pressing centrally um, up against that, that back three and trying to find the spaces in between, if you've got multiple guys, they're going to get spread apart. They're going to lose runners. Um, you know, the kind of the, the four, one, four, one that, that Leicester was in, uh, prior to Ihinacho coming on, you've got IOC Perez and, and Barnes out wide, and they were pretty much staying wide, and neither Yuri Tielemans or James Madison were really coming forward to, to make that secondary run in behind the striker. When you bring on Ihinacho, you you've got a guy who does that, and against a back three that's not 
comfortable, adding that second late runner is a real problem. And ultimately it's a problem that put the ball in the back of Everton's net uh, at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, overall, just a, a tough one to swallow, uh, especially how late the goal was. Um, real quick, if you guys had to give out an, a man of the match, who would it be, Adam? Uh, in when in doubt, give it to the guy that put the ball in the net. Um, I'll I'll take Richarlison. I agree with Chris overall that his his uh, play off the ball, his play in defense has been a lot better this season, and we saw some of that as well. And I mean, the reason that you play him out wide left is that he can make that sneaky run in off the back post and head the ball into the back of the net like he did in the first half. It, it was exactly what what we would have looked for. From him, obviously, the, the, the runner up for me would be Sidibe, but I'll, I'll lean Richarlison here. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go the same. I think, you know, that's, that's the easy one. You could flip flop Richarlison and Sidibe if you really wanted to, yeah. considering Sidibe's defensive performance, but you know, it, it, it's those two guys and then it's really nobody else. Yep. Agreed on that. I'll, I'll, you know, for the sake of just being different, I'll go Sidibe, but I think you guys are right. You know, both of them. Uh, were the two standouts uh, amongst the team in that one. Uh, moving on now, Liverpool. Um, as we know in the derby today, we've lost, we lost five two um, to Liverpool. Um, a lot to talk about here, really, just to get off our chests here. Um, we didn't really prepare much for this one because it happened today, and and I don't think there really was a need to prepare much because I think we all have a lot to say on this one. Listen, man, I know it's an unfamiliar formation. But holy crap, Michael Keane is just out to lunch. Yeah, that's that's a good place to start. And again, <laughs> I, I think and when I was mentioning previously my feelings on you know on the the way that they lined up against um, against Leicester, you look at that setup and you say, okay, against Leicester, Schneiderlin, you know, is is not not fit to to go real, real long. Uh, I, I get it. I get it. But then you come back against Liverpool, Schneiderlin played 30 minutes against Leicester. He played again today. So you've got the option to put three in the midfield, you know, Schneiderlin and, and Davis behind either uh, Gilfie or, or Iwobi, take your pick and, and play a system that is more natural to your defenders against probably the best team in the world right now. And I think you need to do that. And it shouldn't be a surprise that that I I shouldn't have to say that. And I think it's telling about Marco Silva's attitude toward the team's performances and towards what he has available to him right now that in the past we have criticized Silva for sticking with a lineup that got him a result even if the performance wasn't very good. Now he's even sticking with lineups that almost got him a result, even though the performance wasn't very good. That's how low the standard has fallen, that Silva looked at what happened against Leicester and went, eh, we almost got a draw. Let's stick with those guys again. And to me, again, assuming that there is some change in health to Schneiderlin such that he could have started today, it's completely unacceptable. To, to say that. Well, and then, and then he went and made Michael Keane's life harder with By that him in the middle. boneheaded <laughs> substitution at like oh, 33 yeah. or 34 well, minutes where he's got to play because Yerry Mina was on the left. God bless his heart. Keane had to p- cover up for Mason Holgate playing a position he's not used to playing. And furthermore, that makes life harder on Mason Holgate, who has done a downright respectable job as a center back for the last month or so. And Marco's like, nah, get your ass out right where you haven't played in forever. And I, I do want to call this out as well um, because I, I don't – I haven't seen anyone else talk about it, and I just checked it to be sure. Um, against Leicester, and, and correct me if your recollection is different, Yerry Mina played in the middle of the three. Uh, Keane went, was out on the left, and, and Holgate was on the right. Today – Keane was definitely in the middle of the three, Mina on yeah, the left, Holgate on the right. Yes, correct. Why? Why do you make that change? 
why why do you take now uh, in a vacuum i agree that i think Keane should be the guy in the middle because he's slower than the dirty sleeps in so yeah you, you put the slow guy in the middle that's that's fine but if if you played last if you played your last match with mina in the middle and Keane at, at left center back and you've got three days between matches why are you changing that it's hard enough that you're putting them into a formation that they're clearly not comfortable in. Now you're looking at two guys, including one who's barely played in three friggin' months, and saying, okay, now I'm going to put you in an unfamiliar formation. I'm going to switch your spot from when you last played it. Oh, and by the way, we're going to Anfield, and you've got to stop uh, Sadio Mane. Good fucking luck. It's ridiculous. Why would you make that change? Uh, yeah. And well, he got, got played. It didn't take long either because Origi scored, what, six minutes in? And yeah. sure enough, it was Michael Keane getting just absolutely torched. And that was not uh, – that wouldn't be the last time either because uh, God only knows how Dayon Lovren hit that overhead – that over-the-top ball to right on his boot. But, you know, if it's not one thing, it's another. And uh, I don't know, man. This, this shit's been happening for six years. Yeah, I mean – it's it's you you look at it and, and you guys hit it all on the head. I mean, it's starting with where Adam had it. Adam was talking about Marco Silva and his choice of formation. Um, you're right. I mean, just to be like, oh man, well this one kind of works, so let's go with it again. Not and not only to mention that against, against a much better team, mind you. Yeah. No disrespect to Leicester at all, but exactly, and a team that plays much differently, I'd say, in a lot of ways as well. You know. I think largely we saw that Leicester was very solid and has been for a few years on the counter. Whereas Liverpool, I mean, they're just, they're just going to just keep, you know, shoving it down your throat and going to keep, you know, playing those balls on the outside, getting the balls to, you know, the Salas, the Manes, having them work the ball, you know, into, uh, into that front three and have them run at you all day and, and to put basically Mason Holgate, um, Mason Olgate, Michael Keane, Yerry Mina up against – they didn't even play two of their front three, and they still torched us time after time throughout the game. Um, it was well, – Well, don't you worry. Roberto Firmino still got his chance to just oh. absolutely roast Holgate in the second half. Oh, abs- absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's – you know, that's – he speaks even more of the fact that we shouldn't have went out there. I mean, you can't tell me that Marco Silva had an idea that – that Firmino and Sala weren't going to start the game, um, you know, so he's clearly preparing to play Firmino, Sana, and Sala, and Mane up top. So he's going to start that formation, which just it, it just doesn't make any sense. And then, like you guys said, I think we all were shocked by that substitution because you're like, where are we going with this? What are we doing here? Because it didn't make any sense. It didn't help anybody out. It didn't do anything to help the team out in any way, really. Um, and it was in the 33rd minute, which made it seem like it was a necessary change that had to be made, which I, I don't, I, I think a change probably needed to be made, but that certainly wasn't. Well, it, it's one thing if you like bring in Moise Keane for Holgate or Keane or Michael Keane, right? Yeah. And leave Richarlison left and put Keane up top with Calvert Lewin. But not only did he put Holgate in an incorrect position, he then followed it up by putting Richarlison in an incorrect position. Yeah. And, and into a formation that against Liverpool just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So much of what Liverpool does creatively and, and we saw it comes from their fullbacks. We saw the, yeah. the ball that Trent Alexander Arnold played for the, the first goal, first goal, second goal. Uh, I think I think it was the second one. The second yeah. one, okay. Yeah, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, uh, there were a lot. They run together. Pardon me. Um, <laughs> those guys hitting those kind of balls are absolutely the way that Liverpool starts so many of their attacks. And to say, okay, we're going to go into a four-four-two where we're basically going to concede the wide areas where the full where the uh, opponents' fullbacks live is it's just naive. It's tactically naive. It's a basic failure to understand what your opponent is good at. And it's a team that's your rival that hasn't really changed the way it's played in the last 18 months and that has had those players at those positions all that time. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold was friggin' on the Ballon d'Or shortlist. 
and and you're gonna say, well, uh, you know what? It's fine. We'll just let it. We'll give him all the time in the world to pass out of the back there, and to do the same with Robertson. It, it, it's the the short sightedness of that, in addition to all of the obvious stuff, is mind blowing. The layers to this. How well do you think Jurgen Klopp sleeps before these matches? Oh, it's. Uh... <laughs> it's got to be even twice about putting Origi and uh, Shakiri up top. He was probably just like, oh man, like this is Everton. They're terrible. Yeah. We're, you know, we're playing, we're, you know, we're playing like Portsmouth. It's fine. Don't worry about it guys. Well, I mean, you guys, you guys, I know are also um, EA sports FIFA aficionados. This is what you do when, when you're playing your manager mode, right? And you get that, you get into December and you go, oh crap, you know, I got to, Got a big game this weekend. I got to rest some players. Yeah, when you see that crap team that you're playing on a Wednesday night, you uh, you go over to your team sheets and you flip over to your second team. And that's basically what Klopp did, and that's basically what the club has been reduced to. Well, they they weren't they were not only without Salah and uh, Firmino, but Fabinho was out injured, and uh, Alisson was uh, suspended as well. So it's like yeah. four or five first teamers yeah, that they, they, they did not even need. And, Henderson and, as well. They didn't start. Although, I mean, we can have a separate discussion about Jordan Henderson, but I would normally be a starter for this team. They started friggin' Adam Lallana. Adam Lallana, the disrespect, the raw disrespect. Who in in Adam Adam Lallana's defense played really well, and we couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, because we're bad. And also to, to, to talk about this even more, talking about that, you know, you got a big team to play on the weekend. Apparently Liverpool's big team is Bournemouth this weekend. Oh, is it? <laughs> um, so, you know, okay. it even shows even more what the other side thinks of us and going into this game. Uh, I mean, as it, as a fan, I, I would assume the players largely and Marco Silva, you should, at least going into the game, feel slightly disrespected in some yeah. sense and ignite some of that fire. But we still, 10 minutes into the game, we get a goal and we're down one nothing, and it just seems like none of that was there. It seems yeah. like it's all been lost, and and I feel like we have this conversation every single time a manager's on his way out. It's true. It's, no, it's, I, I think I think that's an excellent point. That absolutely, uh, you know, you should you should absolutely as a player when you see that that lineup sheet come across. You should you should feel disrespected. That should motivate you. You shouldn't need any motivating when you're in 17th place and traveling uh, away to the league leaders and your main rival. But it's just another thing to add to the pile. And it, it makes the it makes the performance that was put out there today. And granted, again, a lot of it has to do with the formation and playing in that unfamiliar situation. But it makes the performance even that more frustrating because knowing that we needed to get a result no matter what the situation, knowing that we were playing our rivals who were also the league leaders, knowing that they had started a bunch of players who were not um, who are not regular starters, um, and we still went out there. We gave up two goals within the first 20 minutes. We got back into it with the goal, and then a couple poor plays led to, you know, a couple, you know, mishaps led to not getting that second goal, and then a third goal comes across. And, and, you know, Liverpool's off to the races and uh, the rest is history. Um, anything else you guys want to hit on, hit on here? I mean, um, specifically, uh, I mean, I don't really know that there was much, too much good to this game. Obviously, um, getting back in the game when it was 2-1, it felt like, you know, things were, you know, okay. And maybe this, the ship was steadying. But other than that, I mean, it really wasn't much else going on. Uh, Richarlison tried really hard, and that was cool. And also, Alex Awobi, um, I, I, I hesitate to even say this, but I thought that there were a couple times when he showed really why I got excited about signing Alex Awobi. Um, that that pass to Dominic Calvert-Lewin yep. before things got super out of hand was just magnificent. And you know, uh, Virgil Van Dyke did Virgil Van Dyke things to Dom, and I, you know, that 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 shit just happens. But it. <sighs> I don't know. I, I, I would I would love to see what Alex Iwobi would play like under a more competent manager. No, absolutely. I, I think, you know, one thing that did stand out to me on the, you know, just to play devil's advocate, there were there was a couple passes. I, I remember the one before the Dom pass, which it was good to see the pass to Dom after this was he left a through ball really, really short. There was tons of space 
um, that he had to play. It might have been Richarlison or Dom in, in on in a ball um, when it was 2-1. Tons of space to play it in and kind of just like mishit it and, and let it roll there. And I was a little frustrated with that. But um, you, like you said, there were uh, some definitely bright spots in a Wobie's game today that, you know, brought some form of excitement through this 5-2 debacle. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't really know what else is to hit on. I think we've, we've that's, it. that's all I've got. <laughs> we've ripped apart the manager pretty, pretty hard on this one. Um, you know, I'm tapped out. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's tough to really build on anything else from that, but, um, you know, we'll see what the, uh, what the word is tomorrow morning when, uh, the board has their meeting, but there is still a game this weekend and that is Chelsea. Um, let's quickly go through this, um, uh, some of the things uh, about Chelsea. Chelsea, uh, I don't know, um, where, where they are now. Let me check real quick. I know that before today, yep, fourth, fourth place. Um, you know, they, they lost their last two before this Aston Villa game, which they came back one, two, one. Um, last week they lost to West Ham at home, one nothing, which was the first time they had been held scoreless since that Man United game. Tammy Abraham did play today in that game against Aston Villa after picking up what seemed like a little bit of a groin problem. Uh, he played and he scored today, so definitely going to be a problem for us. Um, you know, last year Everton had some success against them. Um, all of the last times, last three times Everton have won this fixture have all been at home, so some optimism there. But um, with all the uncertainty of the manager, there's not really much we can um, you, you really know going into this game or hope for going into this game. Um, let's start real quick. Assuming Marco is sacked tomorrow morning, which I, I think is the overwhelmingly, um, or the overwhelming feeling here. What will the changes to the lineup look like, you know, if Unsworth is going to be the caretaker until they find a new guy? Well, Benny, I think Benny you... Beningami. Yeah. Benny Beningami. <laughs> okay, settle down in the back. Um, <laughs> I think the the obvious answer is you got to get rid of this stupid formation. Um, yeah. I'm not hating on five or three at the back as a concept, but just with this personnel, um, I don't think well, one of the things that I've noticed in my limited watching of the Leicester match and my viewing of the first half today is that I don't think Lucas Dinier enjoys this at all. I don't know what it is no. in particular about it that, that, you know, kind of handicaps him because you would think with that extra defender, he would have more license to go forward. But man, there's just, he has not played that well. And I think that, I think we would probably all well, agree I mean, he's, he's it, the best player on the team. Have you yeah. I mean, maybe I, he just doesn't like playing against Leicester and Liverpool when the rest of his team is garbage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that could be it too. Um, also, if Andre Gomes to typically, if I, if memory serves and correct me if I'm wrong, normally plays on that left side of the central midfield pivot, right? And I, I, I think that's hurting Lucas as well. Yeah. Well, that's what I was about to say. I think some of the, you know, especially without having that midfield there to connect with, no matter who it is, I think that probably, um, you know, limits him in, in some senses would be my guess. I don't know for sure, but. And, and I also think that when, when you're looking at a, a back five and you're pushing wing backs forward, you know, you, you're running that back five knowing that you're either emptying the midfield or emptying the wings. You're either playing mm-hmm. two in the midfield uh, and uh, three up top or, or uh, three in the midfield and, and two up top, but either way, there's less interchanging going on. And a lot of it is more just about raw pace getting down the wings. And Sidibe's got that. Shavis Coleman has that. That's not really Lucas's game. So I guess if, if you want me to be serious about it, which I guess I will now, uh, it does make sense because you look for a wing back in a five to really rely primarily on their pace rather than their ability to connect with the other players around them. Um, and that's just not Lucas's strength. Yeah. Totally agree on that. Um, going into this game, what worries you guys the most? Everything. Well, the thing is that Chelsea are bizarrely good for the for the transfer ban and having Frank Lampard well, when you have as their manager. 
eyes on loan uh, that all happens. <laughs> you know, it's basically like having a transfer window. The well, funny thing about it, yeah, is that maybe some of the players who they had not ever been playing, they maybe should have been playing. Well, that, yeah. that's definitely true. But my thing was going into this season, Frank Lampard was not actually that great as manager of Derby County. Like if you looked at his the analytical numbers, and I think they finished maybe – I know they made the, the playoff, right? But they finished yeah, they in sixth played in the – sixth place, pardon me, in the championship. And so I really wasn't expecting a whole lot, but for whatever reason, man, he's got those kids humming and Tammy Abraham, Christian Pulisic and Mason Mount in particular are just, they're just flat good. All aboard the Pulisic hype train. Choo-choo. For for us Americans here, if we have to watch this game and and presumably, presumably we'll probably lose this game. Oh, I hope Pulisic gets up 15. Past us, I'd be happy with that. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, their, their attack has been fantastic. They've been doing a really good job. Um, well, they're so the, the the biggest thing for me is they're so good in transition now. Yeah, because because you have Conte in the middle who can just win the ball at a at a moment's notice, and mm-hmm. William is quick and decisive on the one wing. Pulisic is very nimble on the other wing, and Tammy Abraham's so much more mobile than Olivier Giroud. Yeah, I mean Olivier Giroud. Yeah, I, I, it's there. It, hey, don't you just don't you besmirch Olivier Giroud? There's a very <laughs> good chance that. Farhad Mashiri tries to sign him this this January. I guess I shouldn't say not nice things about the defending World Cup champion starting striker, right? No? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know Still? what? We, between between Giroud and Andre Gomez and Gilfie Sigurdsson and Theo Walcott, the handsome per 90 would just be off the charts. That's true. I wouldn't even <laughs> care if we got rele- – actually, I would care if we got relegated because I wouldn't be able to watch us in HD anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's that right. That make me Just been fucked, baby. <laughs> um. I think we talked about this part already. Chelsea's strengths, um, really going forward in transition. Um, oh, this is what I was going to ask. Is our, I, I haven't been able to watch too many of the Chelsea's games. Our friend Kurt Zuma, it, he's not in that center back pairing anymore, right? No, um, he is. He's, um, he's mostly, I think Andres Christensen started for Tomori today out of, uh, okay. Rotation sake, but it's mostly been Tamori and Zuma as the starting pairing, and that's really going to make me most sad of all after watching the Michael Keane performance today. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and Zuma did, you know, it got off to a notably uh, less than stellar start to the season. Um, but credit to Lampard, he pretty much stood by the guy, and it's pretty much worked out for them, you know, in that, that six game run where they went, they went six unbeaten in from the end of September to the start of November. Uh, he went the distance. He played the full 90 in five of those six matches. Um, and so those Matt, I mean, like, like I said, they are, they are actually not like I said, but their defense didn't give up too many goals from what I remember. I mean, I think they were pretty solid. They had at least a couple clean sheets in there. Yeah, you know, and when you again, but before that run, they gave up four to United, yeah. uh, two to Leicester, two to Sheffield, two to Wolves, two to to Liverpool, and they've kind of cleaned it up for the most part since then. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, you know, real quick, what can Everton take advantage of in this game? What you know, if they are going to win this game, what are they going to need to take advantage of? What are they going to need to do to to get a result? I. I would like to see Theo Walcott back at right wing. Um, this, this may seem like a minor thing, but I think Theo's played really well this season. And be it Marcos Alonso or be it Emerson at Chelsea's left back position, they do not inspire what I would refer to as confidence. Defensively speaking, they're both very attacking in nature. And so I, I think there's an area for Walcott to exploit there, provided that he can, you know, get on the end of some, some, through balls or some long balls, which I suppose is a, a different equation entirely, but uh, I would like to see Theo back in this game. Uh, yeah, I, I was I was going to say just generally that I, I want to see us try to attack uh, through the wide areas. Um, you know, the uh, on either wing, I'm not particularly uh, enthused with any of Chelsea's fullbacks. Um, I know Cesar Azpilicueta actually played left back uh, today for or yesterday, whenever Chelsea played Villa today, yeah. Today, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that as Piliqueta, 
uh, Reese James, Marcus Alonso, whoever it may be, if you're going to identify a weakness uh, in this Chelsea squad as it's currently constructed, I think the fullbacks are the place. And, you know, uh, traditionally under Silva, obviously we have looked to attack a lot through the wide areas. Um, I think that even if we come out uh, with uh, a 4-2-3-1 or something there adjacent and not a back five, I still think that we'll probably look to sit deep and counter. And I think that looking to to strike out in those wide areas on the counters is going to be the only way that I can see see Everton getting any joy out of this one. Uh, Predictions. Chris, we'll start with you. Pain. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, even if Unsworth is in charge or even if David Moyes hops on a plane and, you know, gets to, to Stamford Bridge or Goodison Park, wherever this match is at, I don't suppose that it matters where it's at, but, uh, Chelsea are good and Everton are bad. And this is not the weekend that it turns around. Adam? Uh, 18 to nothing. Sick. Uh, no. All Christian Pulisic goals. All goals from Christian. No. Uh, I, give me. Uh, I'll take three one. I think Chelsea will will dominate the match from start to finish, much as we saw today against Liverpool. I think at some point, you know, the fact that Everton does actually have some pretty talented players will show through at one point or another, and they'll they'll nick a goal that doesn't end up mattering in the end. Um, because I, I just don't see uh, with the, the situation club-wide the way it is, with the way that the injuries at, uh, at center midfield are right now, I just don't see a way that, that Everton can contain uh, the Chelsea attack. Yeah, no, uh, I, um, I agree with you guys. I, I think if we are going to change a manager on a short week like this, Definitely is going to help, isn't going to help anybody's confidence or anybody going into this game. I think that Chelsea is going to take a lot of advantage of that. They'll probably score, um, at least two or three goals. Um, and, uh, you know, well, I'll hope that we put a goal in the back of the net. But again, like I said, um, you know, it's going to be tough on this short week if we do change our manager tomorrow morning, um, trying to get everything together for the weekend. Um, any last comments from you guys? Uh, take care of yourselves. If it's you're a in the United, time for everyone. Take if you're care in, of if you're in the United States, don't wake up early on Saturday to watch this match. <laughs> Instead, yeah. watch Borussia Mönchengladbach first Bayern. <laughs> yeah, so, no, yeah. that's 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 solid advice. Or you know, I probably will watch that because I have young children who are going to wake me up early. But for those of you who don't, just sleep. Just just do that. Absolve yourself of any pain. That is our advice for you this weekend. Do not put yourself through the pain of watching Everton because it's not going to be good. Um, Chris, Adam, thank you as always for joining me. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking about Everton and the pain. <laughs> no, it's not, Gino. <laughs> Come don't on. Lie to us. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is our group therapy session. As Chris yeah, mentioned in the fair. Slack chat, this is our group therapy session to get out all the things uh, that really – cause us stress which is entirely Everton so um with that that is all we have for you guys today hope you hopefully you guys enjoyed we'll be back again next week um who knows we may have a new manager by then um on a permanent basis or just a caretaker basis we'll see how things play out um until then though have a great week and we'll talk to you guys next week